0: Buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now.
1: Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.com. I'm your co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, and here with me today is my co-host, Rob.
2: Topo the morning to you, Shag, or should I say topo the evening because it is night as we are recording.
1: Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank, for that. Uh, Folks, welcome back to another episode. We are very excited to be here. Uh, just this past week, we got in our grubby hands some comics with number fives on them. I picked up a bunch. What about you?
2: Uh, yeah, well, my uh, my continually uh, paring down of my my new 52 titles continues. Um, I don't want to say what books I've dropped, because I don't want it to <laughs> start to show off on a negative note. Um, right. But, of course, I bought Aquaman number five and Firestorm number five and... My other like super favorite of the New Fifty Two All Star Western Number Five, and I I love that book.
1: Is it still uh, the double size with like the backups? It's not double
2: size, but it's 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 got the two strips, the two different strips. It just I just love that book to death. I just think it's great.
1: Awesome. I I think I'm going to pick up the trade of that when it comes out because I enjoy Number One.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a really solid book, and it's a lot of fun, and the, the artwork is just gorgeous. But anyway, we're, get, we're already getting off track, Shagher. This is the Fire and It's just,
1: just the opening. They, they like the banter. They like the banter. <laughs> it's not just banter. It's the banter. The banter. It. Right. It's like when old people say, I'm doing the email. <laughs> we're
2: going to have the sex.
1: Whoa! No, we are not. Just for clarification, we are not. <laughs> Yikes! Okay. So, folks, uh, we're going to... Dive right in, push right forward, and we are going to cover, uh, right out of the gate, The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Men, number five. We've already gone
2: over time, just you listing that whole title.
1: Right, absolutely. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I slaughtered um, the word nuclear again. But anyway, uh, this issue is co-plotted by Ethan Van Skyver and Gail Simone. Gail Simone wrote the script. Pencils by Gilderay Sonar. Inks by Norm Rapmund. Colorist Steve Busolato. Just going to keep killing that. Travis Lanham's is a letterer, uh, covered by Ethan Van Sciver and Hi Fi. And uh, we've got Ricky Purden as the assistant editor and Rachel Gluckstern as editor. All right. So, going to give a quick recap of the story. It starts off in Siberia, where all good stories should start. And we're visiting with. Mikhail Arkadin, a.k.a. Pozar, one of the uh, Firestorms that we've met, the Russian Firestorm to be exact, he's meeting with an inspector, and they're discussing the status of uh, the the Firestorm project in Russia. And uh, as all Firestorms issues start, we get a good punch to the uh, stomach as we watch this (laughs) poor guy get ripped to shreds. Uh, What we get is we get a a really kind of neat two-page battle between Pozar and this... Terrorist they've captured, a Quiraki uh, firestorm. He is a, what they call an imperfect firestorm. Basically, someone has taken the firestorm protocols, reverse engineered them, and didn't get it quite right. And so you've got these Quiraki firestorms that are not put together completely properly. And Mikhail battles it and just, I don't know, I can't tell whether he's disintegrating the guy, burning him out, or absorbing all the energy out of him. We're not sure. We've seen him do it twice now. I don't know which it is, but it's pretty graphic. Yes, you know, it is. The poor guy's skull falls apart and just wastes away. So, But it, uh, being that in my real life I have to deal with accountants sometimes, it's kind of nice to see where at the end he uh, turns to this inspector guy that I mentioned earlier and he goes, let's discuss our next quarter's budget, shall we? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Accountant humor. Yeah, Accountant humor. Oh, ho, oh, oh. <laughs> Uh It cuts back to the States, specifically to ZitherTech. Uh, which is apparently in Nevada. That comes into play in a minute, I promise. And we see Jason, and uh, he has a nightmare featuring Fury. And that comes into play a little bit later, too. But Fury is yelling at him to wake up. So Jason gets up. He's at Zither Tech. As of, as of the situation where we ended last issue, we get a few moments with Zither and her assistant. And uh, ultimately, Jason ends up in a situation where he's, he's feeling a little uncomfortable at being at Zither's headquarters. So he decides to kind of go be on his own. He wants to be kind of the lone wolf. He doesn't really want to be bossed around and told what to do. So he pops out with his powers, shows off a bit, and confronts a few of the guards. And finds that one of the guards just so happens to be his own dad. Dun-dun-dun-dun! <gasps> so it turns out his dad has sold out and is working for Zithertoch. Um But he's got a good deal. ZitherTech has this whole planned community. They've given uh, Alvin Rush—that's his dad—he's given him a house. They've given him an awesome truck for Jason. They've got a <laughs> stocked fridge. I mean, it's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, and the whole time, Jason's like, "Wow, it is a pretty good sweet deal," but he kind of gets the sense that they're making a deal with the devil here, and that his dad's being snowed.
2: Can I say, I feel like when I when I saw that the, the, they they have the planned community, I really thought Z- yeah. ZitherTech was going to be run by Hank Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I do love that in the background there's this giant, like, there are all these two little cute two-story houses, and in the background is like this, I don't know, 30, 40-story tall building with this enormous Z on top. Yeah. it sort of like hovers over them like, you will do what we say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I love it. Firestorm, if you could kill somebody on the way out, that would help me a lot. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I really love that building. It's it's so comic booky. It's perfect. Um so Jason it starts having a discussion with his dad, and Zither shows up, and Jason's not exactly, you know, on board with the scenario. Ronnie shows up, and Jason and Ronnie have some private time, and I don't mean that in the dirty way. Shame on you, Rob. And they have a chat and discuss whether working for Zither Techs a good idea or not, because there's a lot of pluses to this if Zither Techs on the, you know, on the up and up. Know, they're going to clear their name. They're going to give them you know, this houses, these houses in the playing community, get some good PR. I mean, this could be a good deal for them. So Ronnie and Jason, take a they decide to give it a shot. And there's actually a nice moment where Ronnie says to Jason, look, you're the smart one, so you're the quarterback this time. You call the play and I'll run it. Truce, man. And, and that's kind of a nice moment between Ronnie and Jason. It just kind of shows the progression from where we were in issue one. So Ronnie and Jason, um, they suit up, if you will, and they go – This is where the Nevada thing comes into play. They go all the way back to Pittsburgh, uh, from Nevada, to this, uh, apparently a rock concert that's about to happen. And a Koraki terrorist group has decided to stage a, I I don't know, an attack at this rock concert in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Yeah, I really don't get that. But uh, so Ronnie and Jason, uh, they've been told to go there. They've said it's, it's sort of a PR moment. You know, the terrorists are going to get to say their bit. They're going to take out the terrorists. It's going to look good for America. And Ronnie and Jason are going to be heroes. So they go in to confront them. Ronnie does some pretty cool, pretty smart superhero moves. He actually takes the Koraki. There, there is another one of these Koraki um, Imperfect Firestorm Protocol guys there. So he takes the guy and removes him from the situation and flies out in the parking lot, which is, you know, what you're supposed to do with a hero. You're supposed to get them away from the crowd. So it's a pretty smart move on Ronnie's part. Meanwhile, Jason's using his transmutation powers pretty effectively. And then, you know, there's a nice little fight going on. And then before they know it, things turn pretty serious. Uh, The Koraki terrorist takes them back into the arena and then turns out he's a suicide bomber. So he blows himself up using his own uh, nuclear powers. So it goes from being kind of a fun superhero fight and hopefully a PR moment to an absolute nightmare. This guy, this, this, this imperfect Firestorm Protocol Koraki uh, terrorist explodes, and what's left is the arena is completely gutted. There are what I have to assume to be thousands of dead people, and Ronnie and Jason are just standing in the middle of it horrified. I mean, so, I, I
2: guess the plus side is we can hope it was like a Nickelback concert or something.
1: Could be uh, something called pain monkeys. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. There's really a difference, right? And uh, and the nice thing is, you know, we got a we got a punch in the gut in the beginning, and we get a kick to the Johnson at the end. So you know, it's kind of a you know,
2: well worth your four dollars, right?
1: <laughs> hey, this one's only three, man. But uh, so there we go. That that is the story in a nutshell. I'm going to real quick go through some of the things I like, some of the things I didn't. Uh, first of all, I, I think it was a good issue. Was it the best issue yet? Probably not. Um, I think I'd give that nod to number four. Still, I think the issue before this was probably stronger. Uh, it was. It was. The plot was a little tighter. Um, I think it was a. Anyway, I just think it's. Don't get me wrong. This issue wasn't terrible, but I think the one before was probably put together better. Uh, I really like the art in the first few pages. I think um, Yildare and Norm really gelled on these pages. I think this. These co- first couple pages show what they can do together. It, and we, we've talked before. It still looks a little more superhero fair than Yilder work on his own. And I, and I still prefer Yilder work on his own. But these first few pages are fine. I will say, though, I, as the book progresses, I don't know whether they were pressed for time or maybe someone else helped out, you know, maybe an understudy or something on, on the inking. But the gelling's not there as you keep going, especially uh, towards the middle. There's some moments where I'm looking at it I'm like, I barely see Yilder pencils in there. I really like Yilderay's art and I like what Yilderay and Norm can do together, but I feel like towards the middle of the book they 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 didn't hit their their, their potential and that I'm you know I'm not trying to be rude or, or or vicious or beat on the guys but it just this isn't their best work um all the moments of battle like you know where Jason's blasted in the guard stuff, that looks great you know the page layouts still look great and, and that's why I'm kind of you know and, and it I don't know I'm just a fan. You know, maybe I, I don't know if I'm putting the weight in the right place, but that's why I feel like I'm I need to put the weight on the inking. Um because I feel like the page layouts are there still, you know. I feel like the, 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 the character the dynamic look of the characters, the motion is still there. It's just it, it looks a little flat in certain places, especially where it's just conversations going on. There's one page in particular when they're in, in the in the in the rush house where Zither is sort of smiling and stuff and there's it, it doesn't look like their work, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, by the end, I, I feel like they're back together. I feel like they're in sync. I feel like there's a lot of exciting, dynamic stuff going on. The battle in, in the in the arena, there's some really great pages in there. So, anyway, I, I guess I was just disappointed. I was hoping for a little more. There's some there's a clunky dialogue in one spot that really I can't figure out, where Ronnie is battling the Koraki terrorist at the end. Mm-hmm. And they're flying through the air. And Ronnie's got a red, you know, red energy going. And the background's kind of green, but the text is green and red, like the worst Christmas ever. <laughs> it it almost strikes me that, like, the script and the art weren't synced up there. Like, something was supposed to happen that didn't. It's, uh, I even read this in an online review that someone was like, I, they didn't understand this panel at all. Um, again, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm normally a very upbeat guy. I'm not trying to be down, but these things did jump off the page at me. Now, some things I loved. I love these imperfect firestorm protocol guys. I think it 's cool. I think th- their look is great because they look like they 're sort of falling apart, so it looks like you can see like oh yeah, this thing didn 't go to it quite well. I like that they kind of look the same that there 's sort of a uniform that they, to the these Koraki terrorists that they keep using the same firestorm protocol efforts, and so you 're getting a replicating look. I dig that. Uh, I love some of the pages at the end when the guy explodes. I mean, the, the art, the motion, the lighting, the colors, everything about his explosion and, and Ronnie and Jason's horrific expressions in the destroyed stadium. They're just really powerful, just amazing pages. Those are great. And, and one other kind of big picture thing I really liked is I liked in this issue the direction the book was going, that Jason and Ronnie actively sought out to be superheroes in this issue. This is the first time this happened in the whole book. At no point in the, in the previous four issues have they said, it's time for us to go be superheroes and kick some butt. And that's what they did this issue. I liked, you know, I want to see them be superheroes. So this, this ex- direction is exciting for me. I don't know if it's going to last because right now they're working for Zither, Zither, Tech, which is manipulating everything behind the scenes. I mean, these guys are horrible. They're playing not just both, both ends of the stick, but like the middle of the stick. They're doing everything. They're just, they're horribly manipulative. So I don't know if it'll last as far as them working for SitherTech, but I liked that direction. Rob, you need to jump in here. I'm just talking, talking, talking.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I only edit out your stuff. So if I interject, it's harder for me to edit. Um, this will tie into something uh, that we'll get into in the listener feedback. But like, I, I like you said, I don't want to be. Um, Negative or anything because you know, it's just like, just probably not my general demeanor, and we don't want the show to be that way. But I will say that I'm having a really tough time like staying focused on this book, and I did not realize how much I miss Ilderay's work um, when, he's, when he's doing it himself. Uh, mm-hmm. until I've seen, until I've seen, you know, the way it looks now, and not in any way to criticize Norm Ratman, cause I, I think Norm Ratman's a good inker. Um, he inked Steve Epting on Dan Jurgens's run on Aquaman in the early 2000s, and that was really good. So it's not, it's not Norm Ratman. It's just, I really, I hadn't quite realized how much I liked Hilda Ray's work and how much that was selling the book to me. Until I see that it's not there. And now I realize that, like, from issue to issue, I'm having a tar- hard time remembering like, what the story is. Mm. And, you know, like, I will continue to read Firestorm as long as we're doing the Fire and Water podcast till we turn it into the um, Dr. Fate and Water podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> or uh, Blue Devil and uh, Water <gasps> podcast. Um, but, uh, But... Like I said, I, I I am really kind of like mourning the loss of Illy as his own inker slash colorist or whatever on this book because I feel like, you know, that that was to me like the, the stir the, the 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 straw that stirred the drink, and now that that's gone, I, I feel like the book is kind of looks like a lot of the other fifty two books, mm-hmm. and they have this kind of bland, genericy. One of the things I mean, people always said for years like that there was a that there was a Marvel. Style, You know what I mean? Like, most Marvel comics look the same. DC never did. DC never had a house style, whether it was Kurt Swan or Neil Adams or George Perez. You know, not to throw out, like, some kind of old references, but, like, you know, DC never had a house style. And Marvel did. And I feel that like the New 52 is, like, almost trying to be like Marvel of the 90s, which is, like, to give it that house style. And one of the things I like about the books that I like, uh, Aquaman, All-Star Western, is, like, they pop out or Batwoman or Wonder Woman they pop out of you and I feel like Firestorm was one of those books that even though I may, I wasn't totally sold on the whole concept of the giant you know Fury Firestorm Hulk creature I thought the artwork was so distinctive that it made the book stand out and now that that's gone I'm kind of like uh, hmm okay so you know that's that's kind of where I am on, on Firestorm like I said I don't want to be you know Captain Negative but <laughs> I have to be honest it just feels like it's it's a little the book's kind of getting tougher for me to get through as opposed to me getting more and more involved in it
1: yeah and you make some very fair points um and i and i definitely miss gilderay's style in there and and, you know and like i'm glad you brought that up I, i don't mean to be vicious towards norm because i mean i i do think he's a solid anchor i'm reading his stuff on teen titans right now and i think it's very solid it looks great um this book just isn't where I wish it was right now. Now, with that said, issue seven and eight coming up is gonna be uh, Ethan van Skyver. So if you're a fan of his, and a lot of people are, you know, that's gonna be some exciting work. I've seen some pages there. Ethan believes he's doing some of his best work. So that should be exciting. And then we'll have Yildere back at issue nine. So I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not giving up on it by any means, don't get me wrong, and and I'm sorry if I sound negative, because I will say overall, I enjoy this issue quite a bit. I think it's a very good issue. I think it's a solid issue. It's just, I, you know, I guess after four issues, I'm starting to, my excitement overall is like, you know, four years, just so glad to have a Firestorm comic in my hand, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I actually have a new Firestorm. Now, it's, you know, maybe I'm becoming selfish and taking it for granted, I don't know. Um, and I'm starting to go like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a fanboy, and I don't want to be mean about this and this. And that could be the case.
2: <laughs> I like your fanboy voice. You like that? I enjoy yeah, that. Yeah. It's kind of like Yertle the Turtle or something.
1: So it's, you know, I I guess I I really am of two minds. There's parts of the book that I, I am not as thrilled with, but there's other parts that I absolutely love. Like right now, actually, I'm looking at this picture of Fury that's yelling at Jason, you know, and I think that's an awesome looking drawing. I think Fury looks great in that panel, and I love the layout in that page, you know? So it's... I'm so torn back and forth. And by the way, the thing about Fury I wanted to say was in the, he's yelling at Jason to wake up. And, and he's, he's being you know, kind of a jackass because that's what Fury does. And um, Ethan actually said recently on the DC Comics message board, because there's a lot of people who have been talking about Fury. And, and here's some interesting thoughts. I'm going to read straight from what he said. He said, Fury isn't a character. It's something else. Just let me and Joe Harris show you. And then someone asked if it was an entity, and he says it's not an entity either. I have to, fit, I have to say, Fury isn't supposed to speak. Gale made him talk. He'll never utter another word from here out. Hmm. So, I'm actually very interested to see where they take that with Fury. So it actually piqued my interest a lot. I'm like, ooh, Fury just got interesting. <laughs> so, um, anyway, that that pretty much wraps up my comments. Um, you know, if I had to do a scale of one to ten, which I've never done with any of these issues, but I guess I will for this time. Um, seven and a half. You know, that's still good. That's a, that's a solid grade. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, what, um, what
2: a what a rave review. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I know, I know. just come on.
1: Yeah, you know, now I wish I'd never thrown a number at it. See, I feel bad.
2: there you go. Because there's some pages here that are so cool. Like, when you're when your
1: kids come home with those grades. <laughs> Hey, that's true. <laughs> but like when Ronnie battles the Koraki terrorist and they go smashing through this city bus, it just looks so good. You know? Like I said, there's certain panels that are just awesome, dead on, and there's others that are and, and it's almost like the action scenes are the stronger ones, maybe is what I it would is. I agree. I would
2: say that's true. I would I would totally agree with that.
1: Yeah. But And the
2: layouts are still good. So I mean yeah. you, you could see Ilderay in there. Yep. You know, like I just, but you know, but anyway, I'm sorry. I said my piece. So I don't want to go on. Yeah,
1: yeah, me too. So again, glad to see they're being superheroes. I hope they can, you know, whether it's for Zither or not. I hope they continue to actively be superheroes. Um, very excited for the direction. A little bit later, we're going to talk more about Firestorm because really that's what this sh- podcast should be. You know, honestly. Yeah, this that. The,
2: yeah, that that's coming
1: out. Okay, uh, we're going to talk more about Firestorm and about the direction of the book and why I'm still very excited about this book and I can't wait and i think the future's bright. Right. Now, with that said, uh let's talk about the new 52 aquaman number 5. Yeah, That's why we're this is why we're really here. Is our Aquaman number five?
2: Um, yes, uh, Aquaman number five, which is the first new storyline after the uh, whole trench saga, uh, opens with a with a hell of a grabber image. <laughs> it's just um, Aquaman falling <laughs> through the sky, <laughs> and he just hits the ground. Um, it's I love through panel three where he obviously is closer to the ground. Um, well, I mean, of course, he's, he's falling. In a, in, a, in a purely uh, gravitational direction, but he's obviously closer to the ground than we can see because he starts bracing for impact, which I yep. sort of liked. It's like the, the inherent comedy of that of like, okay, like you know, you're falling from 20 miles up, and somehow putting up your forearm is going, to, is going to help protect the face, protect the I'm face, protect the face, the million dollar face.
1: Exactly, That's another
2: Simpsons reference. So anyway, uh, Aquaman. The title of the story is Lost, written by Jeff Johns and drawn. Uh, or art by the smashing team of Reese, Prado, and Reese, which is again, I think, a law firm. Um oh, there's another anchor, Eber Eber Ferrera, also listed uh, in, in the credits. Um so anyway, Aquaman finds himself in the desert, he looks around, looks left, nothing but sand, looks right, nothing but sand, and his reaction is, uh-oh. uh oh. <laughs> uh you know uh, at that point the book toggles back and forth between past and present. We see that um, Aquaman is having a sleepless night. Uh, Miro wakes up and asks him what's wrong. We see in one panel that he's clearly thinking of the Trench, because we see the, sort of like a ghostly image of the Trench over his shoulder. Um, you can't really tell whether he's thinking about what he did to the Trench, because he's, as we mentioned in issue four, that he feels guilty about uh, basically exterminating an entire race, or whether that is just meant to represent that he's thinking of of what the Trench represents, which is a connection to Atlantis. So anyway, his phone goes off. Um, Aquaman has an iPhone. I enjoy that. And, Aquaman um, has a phone! <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that's like... He has a phone! <laughs> Aquaphone. <laughs> um, anyway, he gets called by the Navy. And the Navy has been experimenting uh, on this glyph that they found in number four, which is, looks like the Aquaman A. And it's emitting this horrible high-pitched sound. Uh, so bad that it's shattering all the glass in the uh, in the lab or whatever. So anyway they uh, they say basically document come down here and take a look at this and then we toggle back to him being out in the desert there's a brutal sequence of him yanking a giant chunk of uh, metal shrapnel out of his leg um and he finds his trident which has also fallen and again then we toggle back again and we see that the um as he's investigating the glyph um a bunch of like sort of stormed st- stormtrooper type guys break in and start shooting up the place um, the, uh, Aquaman chases after them. They jump into their jet, like this big hovercraft-lucky thing. He jumps onto the jet in a great panel where he just shoots straight in the air. Uh, I never... Uh, I love those panels <laughs> of him just shooting straight in the air. Um, and then we're back to the desert and he has a dream where he's imagining his father. He's talking to his father in a very uh, Luke and Yoda-type sequence, except here, the father is being really mean to him. Uh, his father cast dispersions on Mira and says stuff like, you know, why did you give up Atlantis? So, obviously, something's up
1: there. Um, Okay, real quick. I I have to call into question your Star Wars um, quotient. Oh, I meant Luke and and Ben, not Luke and Yoda. Thank you.
2: I'll edit that out. Um,
1: Whatever. Yeah.
2: So, (laughs) so anyway, then we find out Aquaman punches one of the uh, Stormtrooper guys and we see that his uh, helmet is full of water which uh, Aquaman realizes, hey, you're an Atlantean. At that point, one of the guys zaps him with like some sort of like concussion gun or whatever, and that knocks Aquaman out of the plane and dumps him into the desert, which is where the book starts. Um, he then uh, finds the helmet of one of the soldiers laying in the desert. He sticks the glyph in the water, and it calls forth this uh, sort of holographic image beautifully colored by uh, Rod Reese. Really, really, in in a full page uh, where the guy says Atlantis is in danger. It looks really gorgeous. Um, And then this guy, we we see that this guy that Aquaman is looking at, it's clearly some sort of recording that's being done in sort of real time, which is again, kind of like Princess Leia from Star Wars. And we see see this guy get attacked by somebody. And he talks about hiding the truth of Atlantis, and uh, this foe is threatening to sink Atlantis. And the message burns out. Aquaman finds himself laying there in the sand. He gets rescued by the Navy. Um, there's a cameo appearance by Dr. Steven Shin, which is the character we saw in the uh, issue number two. Uh, and the final page is Aquaman comes home. And when he comes home, the dog is waiting for him. The dog, as we know, is named Salty. And, um, oh, whatever. <laughs> the dog is waiting for him. And he comes home and he finds a note from Mira that says, went to town for dog food. Mira. And then the, the the great little blurb at the end just says "Mira versus the World." So that <laughs> mm. <laughs> we're looking forward to
1: issue number six. Do you notice the dog? I just noticed just now it has a, a dog the Dog collar. has it's the that, o- that, yes, the, the A glyph on yes. its neck.
2: I mentioned that on the shrine. Thanks so much for not reading. And uh, uh, Wait, you have you have a website? <laughs> I do. And um, I, I, I said on the I said on the review at the time. I really hope DC Direct makes that. <laughs> I hope they make dog they make the oh little dog charm because they have them. They have little. They, back when um, they had the Warner Brothers uh, stores, they had little keychains that had Superman S's and Batman bats. And I bought them both. And I, I told uh, I've kept them all these years. I told Tracy that someday I want to get two dogs and name one of them Ace and name the other one Crypto, and we'll oh, we'll, we'll we'll put those little things on their collar. But uh, when we got Johnny, Johnny was really not an ace or a, or a crypto, so that wasn't appropriate. But someday. So I'm holding on to those things. So I really do hope that uh, you know they uh, they do make that little Aquaman a-glyph for, for dog collars because I will buy one.
1: <laughs> and they'll sell one.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I could make a joke about somebody's book is outselling somebody else's book, but I'll just let that go. Um, whatever. Whatever uh anyway i thoroughly enjoyed this issue it was a lot of fun it's a great intro i love that there's no i I, I love the the starting of it in the middle of nowhere as opposed to you know build up build up build up and showing how we got you know i like the toggling back and forth i thought that was a lot of fun um he introduces a lot of new subplots obviously we're going to be learning more about atlantis and Stephen shin is going to be coming back um you know, it was a lot of fun. It was just a, just a, you know, I mean, they've done this bit before Aquaman lost in the desert. It's been done at least two or three different times in comics. So, um, some people on the shrine complained that like, you know, they wished Aquaman had saved himself as opposed to the Navy rescuing him. But, you know, I mean, there was a lot of other story to get in there and it would have involved some other, you know, Dewey says machina type thing of Aquaman getting him, getting himself. Out. It didn't bother me at all. I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, he's got a lot of other things going on in this issue. We don't need well,
1: to get himself out of there, out of the desert as well. I'm glad that came up because actually that that struck me too as I was reading it, believe it or not. Um, again, not, I, I'll be honest. I'm behind on, my, on reading my blogs. I have not read your review of this little book. But um, I'm going to see your little review. Wow, but anyway, boy, that
2: could uh, not have been severed less enthusiasm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was just for fun. Um, I It actually bothered me the same way. I was like, you know, I really wish he'd found a way to save himself. Rather than being rescued, not that it, you know, I, didn't, I don't know. Being the, the central hero of the book, I just kind of wish he had. But um, anyway, talking back to your your first point, uh, I'm just going to kind of address your stuff point to point as we go. Uh, him falling out of the sky—that that is one of the greatest openings of a comic I've read in years. It's so great, it's so solid. That 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 four-panel drop, and then that two-page spread of him in the desert—it's just gorgeous. It's beautifully rendered. And I really like the storytelling mechanism of making you wonder what in the heck is going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and the cutting back and forth. I mean, it's not a new idea to, do, to tell your story that way, but it's, a very well, it's very well executed here. I mean, the slow reveal of why he's there as you're dealing with the struggles he, he's going through in the desert. It's really well edited. I mean, if it was a film, you know, the, the editing is really, really excellent.
2: Yeah, I mean, th- these guys are just on a roll, you know what I mean? Like, they're just, it's another, and it'll be nice, uh, the next issue will be, a, 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 as I mentioned, a Mira solo story, which I will uh, mention something else about later on in the show. Um, so that'll be a nice kind of, like, a side story um, of, of, you know, we're going to give some Mira some space for number six, and then we'll be back with the main story, and now i will going to be number seven. Um, but, the, you know, these guys are just clearly on a roll. The artwork is, is phenomenal. I'm just loving what these guys are doing, um, and I really like, you know, I really like the story, and uh, I, it's like, I I wish I almost had more to say about it, um, I've run into this problem on the shrine, where it's like, I don't have a whole lot really else to say, other than, I'm just really enjoying it, you know, it's great to have an Aquaman comic at all, and it's great to have an Aquaman comic that I'm really enjoying, so, like, it deserves all of its, Ploitas and all of its praise, and I'm glad it's one of DC's best sellers. You know, because it deserves to be. It's one of their
1: best books. This issue, especially, is a star. Yeah. I mean, just a nice, solid one and done kind of story. You know, and well, I've already talked about the way it's constructed. Oh, by the way, you get a naked Mara, uh, which is always <laughs> awesome. But um, I'll
2: have to make that a label on the shrine.
1: You should. I, I like that they've got this reoccurring, uh, com, you know, Commander Clay. That he's gonna, you know, maybe he's gonna be a thing, somebody that we see a lot of, which is kind of cool. I like how the story, you know, still echoed back to the trench story. You know, yeah. it, it, it's not like you felt. It's not like if you read the first three issues, you're like, well, I don't have to worry about that story anymore. It, it sort of just barely touched on it enough to make you feel like, oh, there's some continuity here. Um, there's some. St- okay, I got to talk about the Luke and Obi Wan on uh, Hoth scene here. Okay, so. Clearly, I mean, that's what's being emulated here. I mean, it's uh, Aquaman's face down in the sand versus snow, and, and there's the ghostly image appearing. But what I want to talk about is the art. You know, Aquaman is rendered in these very nice, clean ink lines, and then all of the lines of his dad are, you know, I don't know, how, you're the artist, not me, but you know not the like, colored pencil? I don't know, whatever well, I it is.
2: Well, I think it's it's watercolors or, or some mix of watercolors and sort of Photoshop or, but they're like color holds, you know, there's no black, there's no ink lines on top of okay. them. They're just, they're just color holds, I guess. They're probably more, re- they probably more current term for it, but that's basically what it is.
1: And it's, it makes such a great
2: contrast. Yeah, it looks, it I looks mean,
1: beautiful. I mean, we saw some panels a couple of issues ago of his dad like this. But it was all that, all those panels were like that. Him and his dad together were sort of in this style. But now you've got them in the same panel with the solid black ink lines, and it's just, it makes for such a great contrast. And it's like, wow, that, especially when he's like angry, and he, you know, it's, that's just awesome.
2: Yeah. So. It's, 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 you know, I, I think I've said before, Rod Reese's coloring is, you know, one of the nicest things about book. I mean, there's lots of nice things. Everything is nice about this book. But, you know, like, it's a standout among standouts. He's really doing a tremendous, tremendous job. And I'm not just saying that because he's been so nice to the
1: shrine.
2: <laughs> Ass kisser.
1: <laughs> uh, I also like how the the warrior guy, I don't know if they actually say his name in right here, the, the, the ancient Atlantean soldier or general. He he kind
2: of looks like the monitor from Crisis on the uh, (laughs) Earth.
1: I was trying to figure out an analog for him in Atlantis Chronicles, but I realize I'm the only one still trying to do that. But anyway. um, Give it up, Shaq, give it up. I love Atlantis Chronicles so much. Anyway, uh, I dig how they are getting attacked by the trench. And I am pretty impressed with Aquaman that, you know, here he is, he's dying of dehydration, and he actually finds water. He found water in the Atlantean helmet. And instead of drinking it or pouring it on himself, he drops the glyph in it. That's <laughs> like, wow, that's a man right there. I wouldn't have been that nice or that brave.
2: He could have just bit a vulture like he did in DC Challenge.
1: Maybe he did off panel. Yeah, probably. Yeah,
2: we I mean, it's been done, so we'll need to see him do it again.
1: Yep. And then uh, the mocking of Aquaman continues. Though you see, Doctor Chin in the background, it's clearly like a, a David Letterman type show. Yeah, and and they're talking and they're making fun of Aquaman again. Which so. I
2: actually kind of liked because you know, like, not all that it's going to get solved in like one month or two months or however long the trench storyline took place. You know what I mean? Like, the, the Aquaman number one sets up that he has this bad PR image. That's not that's not all going to get solved super quickly, right? So, so I mean, you know, you, you know I, I enjoy that. That's it's still going to be lingering for a while.
1: And I love that, uh, that line. Went to town for dog food. That's yeah. hilarious.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the Mira solo issue. That'll be that'll be a, a ton of fun and and uh, richly deserved certainly. I mean, heck, you, know, mm-hmm. you can call the book Aquaman and Mira for for Pete's sake, but I understand why they don't. So it'll be that'll be great to, to, to and that's going to be done entirely by Joe Prado. Um, mm. pencils and inks by Joe. Cool. Yeah, so I think that's probably maybe why there's another anchor on this issue is probably to get a little caught up and so he can get going on the um the all Mira issue. So that'll be that'll be a blast.
1: Well, wasn't this didn't this Ferrera guy do the last
2: issue too? Did he? I didn't think so. I could be wrong. Uh, or...
1: I thought so. I could be wrong. Well, it, it doesn't happen often, but me in this case.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I think that would be a perfect time to end the first half of the show. Um, <laughs> so, uh, unless you have something else to add, Chegg, and I actually probably don't even care if you do. We're uh, <laughs> <I'm> gonna, <laughs> in, the, in the immortal words of Doctor
1: Johnny Fever, booger.
2: I don't know what that means. Um, So, uh, anyway, that's going to end the first segment of the show. Um, Please enjoy this public service message, and come right back, and uh, we'll return with listener feedback.
0: The sexy, crime-worshipping violence of certain comic books has come in for a lot of scathing criticism during the past couple of years. Resolutions have been introduced, experts have written books, Governmental committees have held hearings. Even in the comic industry itself, steps have been taken to clean up some of the filth. The Comics Magazine Association of America, Incorporated, has been formed and a code written. Here's a copy of it. The code sounds fine, and they've appointed a czar to enforce it. But the undesirable comic books haven't disappeared from the newsstands of this country. Why? I'll tell you exactly why because no action has been taken by the most powerful influence in America, the people, you. Many of the publishers are already out of business, but there's an immense backlog still in the warehouses and on the newsstands. Unless the individual communities find out where they are and get rid of them, these books will be around for years. There are about 60 million, that's 60 million, comic books published every month in the United States. But those figures are really quite misleading, and in a minute you'll see why. Ask ten kids where they got the comic book they're reading. Maybe one or two will tell you they bought it. The rest traded for theirs. They buy one book and they read ten. It's wonderful economics, but unfortunately it means that ten times as many kids read books they never should even see.
1: Okay, thanks and welcome back to the Fire & Water podcast. Um, thanks to Joe McCarthy for that uh, public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you took it all to heart, people. Comic books are yep. dangerous. You've all wasted your lives. So. <laughs> uh, we're going to do some listener feedback.
2: <laughs> I've really got to get going on that echo effect that you, you do. keep asking for.
1: You do. The way we're going to structure this, folks, we're going to do some feedback, and then we're going to kind of focus the feedback and wrap up talking about, you know it. That's right. Firestone. So, I uh, want to give a shout-out. Thank you to some of our friends over on the DC Comics message board. Charlemagne, a.k.a. our buddy Roy Cleary, gave us a very nice shout-out there and uh, pimping the podcast for us. And thank you, Keith, for the, the well, frankly, the threat. Um, Keith G. Baker, Buddy Baker, and Robert Gross, Martin Stein, RIP. Also want to give a shout-out to our Twitter guys. Um, they came out in force this time. I mean, there was a lot of active Fire and Water promotion this past time And thank you for that guys It it gets the word out there and gets more people listening And we get more dialogue going like we do right now So thank you to Moldwick Who I will for like the third or fourth show in a row Say I believe is Alex Giles
2: (laughs) He refuses to acknowledge He refuses
1: to tell me whether he is or not Uh, Ben Avery who goes by uh, Whispering Loon on Twitter Alright I'm going to screw it up again Because he didn't tell me how to pronounce it He told me he'd tell me how to pronounce it He didn't help me out so here we go Manjit Don... Manjit Donjal. We're going with that. Uh, at Manjit D on Twitter. And then Justin...
2: <laughs>
1: Out of the frying Jor- pan, into the fire. Man! Guys, you're killing me. Uh, Justin Jorphy. Uh, that's J Jorphy on Twitter. That doesn't really help you much, probably. Uh, my good buddy Randy Caldwell, Mr. Perturbed. Hector Negret, uh, who is Bauhaus45, he actually sent us uh, through Twitter a photo of his old school superpowers, Firestorm and Aquaman, which looked great together. He said they were like survivors of his childhood, I think was something what he said. So that was great to see that uh, our episode on merchandise sort of inspired that. Bill Beer, who goes by Gotham Knight 13. Again, Keith G. Baker, our buddy at uh, KGB uh, UNC. Uh, Professor Alan Middleton, our buddy, Professor Alan. And this is a new one. I I don't know this folk. Uh, It's Cap L, I believe is what he goes by. So on Twitter, he's Cap L-U-S-C-H.
2: Yeah, that is a a foam guy. Andrew, uh, I don't know. I've never said his name a lot. Capalush, I believe. Yeah. He's a a very dedicated foam member. He was one of the guys that drew um, one of the headers for us in 2011. We did the header contest.
1: Oh, fantastic.
2: Yeah, he's a very, very dedicated Aqua fan.
1: Well, thank you very much to you folks out on Twitter. You are uh, you are a good, solid bunch of twits. That just doesn't come out right, does it? <laughs> you, were
2: waiting, gonna... you were waiting. You waiting the whole show to use that.
1: I'm not going to use that again. Okay. <laughs> what you got, Rob?
2: Uh, well, first, first of all, I just want to mention a brief comment from my old pal, Sean Tiffany, who I mentioned in the previous show about his and his uh, his uh, problem with the uh, super deformed uh, Aquaman figure which I used to haunt him during the San Diego Comic-Con in 1998. (laughs) Uh, All his comment was, super deformed Aquaman, dot, 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 still frightening. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Um, I do want to read a comment from uh, Patrick, who left this on Firestorm Fan, where he wrote another great podcast. I was thinking as I listened that even if this isn't the funniest or spoilerist hmm, podcast to listen to, It continues to be one of my favorites because your love of your characters, your dedication to your respective heroes, and your engagement with your audience make it all the more fun to listen to. More fun. You don't denigrate the artists or writers, oops, but just let them take the story (laughs) wherever it leads, and I appreciate that. So Shag responded with that, add Patrick, thanks, wait, not the funniest? So then Patrick responds, add Shag, maybe Rob brings you down a bit. (laughs) And then he wrote JK, as if that makes the pain go away. I always enjoy your shows. First to go on my MP3 player when a new show pops up on iTunes. So then I left a comment quoting, quoting Patrick back to him. Maybe Rob beats you down a bit. And I just wrote, ouch. <laughs> and then Patrick went back one more time, wrote, At Rob, I did add JK and a smiley face. <laughs> so, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see when Patrick becomes a child. Becomes a, a parent and what you is with his children, you know? You're stupid and ugly. Just kidding. You know. <laughs> is this the best p- report card you can do? I go, well, just kidding. It doesn't make the pain go away, Patrick. It doesn't, okay? This is
1: a perfect example of where strings of comments and being able to subscribe to comments just causes more trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> I
2: should not visit Firestorm Fan just in general.
1: Um, Man, I gave up on Aquaman trying Storm.
2: Apparently. Um, so, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, thank you, Sean, for that comment and... I will acknowledge that Patrick
1: made a comment, but I'm not going to thank him for it. <laughs> um, cynical, uh, help me out with his name again. Should, it's when, it's our buddy who did the the, th- the theme song at the end, right?
2: Yeah, Dan, well, Dan Dan Adams, but he goes there by Cynical.
1: He uh, he left us a nice comment over on Alchemain Shrine, talking about the Superpowers toy line and Deathstorm. And I shall never reveal my reasons for hating Deathstorm. You will go to your grave, wondering, sir. <laughs> And uh, do you want to read what Ben wrote?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a nice email from – on our email address, we should mention, um, firewaterpodcast at uh, comcast.net. We got a, a, a nice long note from Ben Avery. I want to read the part about uh, Aquaman specifically, re-Aquaman. How is it that Aquaman has the best art team in all of DC Comics right now? Clean living, my friend. Clean living. This issue is breathtaking. Like the previous issues, it feels very short and quick, but at the same time it gives some interesting character development, it jump-starts the next story arc. My only complaint as a reader, I don't know why Who's Second Atlantis is important, partly because the characters don't seem to know why it's important. We've got some interesting glimpses at a mystery, but there seem to be no stakes in why that mystery matters to me or to the characters. Uh, keep up the good work, and I'll be looking for the next episode on my iPod. Ben. Uh, thanks for the comment, uh, Ben. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a valid, uh, a valid argument. I mean, I think you know, kind of like it'll be the all will be revealed style of storytelling, um, but I understand. I totally understand that. You know, saying, like, "Well, you know, who cares really?" Because at the moment, nobody really knows. But you know, assuming we'll 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 get to that
1: shortly. And, and I totally get where you're coming from because I mean, it's like you know that. Oh no, this terrible thing happened thousands of years ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, no, it's obviously yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff will bring it back to why it's important, but um, yeah, I I see what he's saying. This makes a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the next series of comments, I'm going to read several comments from several different people. This is sort of uh, almost a continuation of some of the comments we had last time, and it's about the Firestorm book specifically. So bear with me, I'm going to read different people's comments, and I'm actually going to end on a letter by Ethan VanSkyver himself. Not that it came to us, but it was posted to the DC Messenger, but I think it says a lot about um, where he's taken the book. So... With no further ado, uh, this was posted on the Firestorm fan site. You should check it out sometime, Rob. Uh, this was written oh, by... Is there a
2: Firestorm f- site? That's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a little thing awesome. with a guy. His head's on fire. So, actually, there's a bunch of guys with their head on fire now. But This is by SDF7. So, uh, he starts off by thanking us for talking about uh, merchandise last time. In fact, he, apparently he snagged himself a... Firestorm, Tumblr, and JLA figure. So there it is, Rob. We are actively affecting the eBay <laughs> the eBay market. Look we, at us.
2: We are a stimulus program. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, here's all right. We're gonna talk about his his thoughts on Firestorm. The loss of the sense of fun and adventure really does make this new run harder to enjoy. Not that I don't know that. Uh, not that I didn't know to some extent going in. No offense to Ethan, but Firestorm, to me anyway, doesn't represent the Cold War or the fears of nuclear power. It represents the hope and promise of nuclear energy. Remember that Stein's reactor in the first place was an attempt at an automated self-recovering facility. Having this flipped such that Firestorm was all about multinational paranoia can work. Ostrancher's run had some parallels prior to the blank slate area era. But it really isn't what most fans love about the character and concept. Maybe in this post in, in this post I'm going to say this wrong, Fukushima Talking about the Japanese uh, disaster recently. I think you got it right, uh,
2: Fukushima. I believe that. Okay,
1: right. Fukushima. In this post-Fukushima world, that there isn't room—maybe in this post-Fukushima room—there isn't room for uh, in pop culture. The younger mindset in DC is trying to reach for nuclear energy, not being a pure bo- boogeyman. But it certainly was nice for a while to have Stein's guidance and ability, uh, providing a ray of promise and wonder for what could be harnessed. Uh, he goes on to give some su- good suggestions for other runs of stories, and, dude, you're dead on. I am so going to cover the uh, storyline that led up to the blank slate firestorm. Good call. Uh, Frank, our good buddy Frank Lee Delano of the Idol Head of Diab- Diablo. Uh,
2: oh, we missed our that. chance to make fun of his blog name again.
1: Well, you know, I, well, I didn't get it right, I'm pretty sure,
2: anyway. I was going to call it the uh, Idol Head of Devil Dinosaur this week. But... That, oh, that's... Ooh, I
1: like that. But um, Frank gave us some very good insight here, too. He says, Given EVS, talking about Ethan, Given Ethan Skyver's political leanings, it would be swell to see the nuclear power represented in a positive light as a viable option. I'm old enough to remember the Cold War fears and the Chernobyl meltdown, but a lot has changed in the decades since, and nuclear power would solve a ton of domestic problems in the short and long term. It would be interesting to see a more conservative take on things in the modern era, like playing up the positives of nuclear energy and uneasy relations with Pozar having more to do with Iran than some old KGB crap. It might also be cool to see Ronnie and Jason's conflict being more ideolog- ideological than two familiar black and white jock and nerd class strife riffs. There are elements of the new series that attract me, but they are undercut by seemingly dated politics, the firestorm core, and that Voltron Fury stuff. I'm um, gonna keep going here; we're on a roll. I'm um, gonna talk. This one's by Robert Gross. This was posted to iTunes. He gave us a very nice. Review. We love the iTunes
2: reviews. We love the every time I see a new iTunes review pop up, um, as long as it's not from Ed the Unique Geek, I'm very happy. <laughs>
1: Uh, and I apologize for saying it again, folks, but I will, just for those of you who didn't catch it previously, the iTunes reviews are very important. They help push our podcast up in the ratings, it helps more people find it, it helps build this community of of match heads and aqua freaks, water water logs, ooh, there it is, match heads and water logs. Super cool guys is what I call them. Okay, whatever. Uh, but it helps build this community we've got going and gets more discussion and, you know we. Add together, our voices can be heard. Look, we affected eBay this past month. So, all right, um, Robert left this very nice comment and talking about some of the merchandising and stuff. I'm going to jump to the part that continues the storyline we're talking about. I also appreciate that Shag was willing to read the strong words of negative fan mail. I think it's fair to say that the reaction to the current inception of Firestorm continues to be mixed. And that would describe my own feelings on it, too. Mixed. There are aspects I really like, and other aspects not so much. Because R&S... Rob and Shag? Why can't it be Shag and Rob?
2: What the hell is that about?
1: Alright, anyway. Because R&S bring it's on Zoom. it's some...
2: Batman and Robin, not
1: Robin and Batman. Oh, well, Gosh, is there room in on people's iPod for your ego? I mean, they're going to have to get a bigger gig size. Represent, just to your ego. all right? Because RNS brings so many cool creator guests on the podcast and on their respective blogs, it would be all too easy to quash the sentiments uh, of the loyal opposition. Nevertheless, they give a forum for the airing of all different perspectives. I salute your integrity, gentlemen. That is probably the first time Rob's ever been referred to as having integrity. But anyway. Um, all right, That right. I'm just letting that go. <laughs> those are the comments from the fans about this issue. Um,
2: Let me, I and guess, they make oh, – go ahead. I, I guess nope. I should mention there's a good enough time because um, uh, it ties into this. Is, uh, eagle-eared <laughs> listeners of the show uh, could not probably help but notice last week's show that there was kind of a curious edit. In the in the last episode, in the listener feedback segment, where um, Shag read two letters from Joe Slab talking about his criticisms uh, and his views on Firestorm, and then um, she, what happened in the show is that Shag then responded in a you know very eloquent, even-handed, fair-minded response. And um, it, he's not
1: being sarcastic. I actually like put my thoughts, strung two thoughts together for like was, five minutes. It was amazing.
2: It was really amazing. And which is which is why the next thing about this is going to make it even more painful to listen to, in that, um, it, but it went on for a while. So then, after, <laughs> so then after, yeah. Um, so then, after, but then after Shag was done, he kind of tossed it over to me, and I was really flummoxed. I had no response because I was sort of in a more negative mode on Firestorm, hearing about that. You know, like Ilderay was not going to be inking his own work or whatever, or you know, and. I just, at that moment, I just wasn't ready to be maybe as negative about the book as I, I guess, I'm, as I'm comfortable being now. So I just, like, had no response. And it was very awkward and weird because there was this, you know, Shagheka had this kind of long speech and then just kind of, like, awkward silence, even more than usual. And so when I went back to listen to the show, it really ended the episode on, like, a, just a weird, down, awkward note. And I was like, it's got to go. Like, my lack of response has just got to go. But there was no way to end it smoothly. So I talked to Shag, and I told him, all right, Shag, you're kind of rebuttal, rebuttal. It wasn't even a rebuttal, but you're, you're sort of give and take. That part's going to come out. We're just going to end it with Joe. And it, it made for not the cleanest edit in the world. And clearly some people noticed. Like, I know Frank seemed to notice. Um... But that – so, so the, the blame of that falls entirely on me because I just didn't have the proper response ready um, at the moment. And, you know, sometimes that happens. We try and, like, do these shows in real time and sort of, like, put them up as as close to what the, – how the recording goes as possible. Because, you know, I don't want it to – I don't think either shagger or I want the show to be too smooth and be, you know, just <laughs> – With us, that's no, never yeah, no Yeah, no, no worries there. Um, but, you know, we want to have – some you know make it easier easy for people to listen to as well. So there is some post editing here. Um, that was an extreme portion of editing, and so you know my apologies for that. So that's that's kind of where that comes from. And I just wanted to mention that since we're in that zone of talking about firestorm.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and, and it, it ties in well because I mean there's a lot of strong comments here again, but there's a lot there's some positive comments embedded in there too. I think I'll, I'll kind of sum up. What, I, what I, I said last time they got cut, here's the gist of it, is that the Firestorm book we got, I don't believe, based on a lot of the comments I've read, is not the Firestorm book we were expecting. Um, it, it's also probably not the Firestorm book we wanted. I, I think a lot of the match heads wanted a post-Brightest Day Firestorm book. So it's not the one we were expecting, it's not the one we necessarily wanted but it's the one we have now. And I'll tell you what, I am enjoying the new series. It's just not what, what I thought – You know, if you asked me a year ago, this is not what I thought we'd be reading today. And I think, that, I think it's – both can exist in both worlds. You, know, you, can, you can enjoy the book as it is today. It, it's more of a, a, a global picture and, and sort of an espionage – there's an espionage angle to it. There's a, some Cold War and, and political stuff embedded in it. And that's very enjoyable. And I like the book. It's just different from what we expected. And that's okay, you know? The the Firestorm that I love, the the Firestorm that I first fell in love with, the fun-loving guy with the kid with the teen troubles and and the professor who's always getting interrupted in experiments, all of that, it's still there. It's in my long boxes. I'm pointing at my long boxes right now. They're still there. Every one of those comics. I can reread them anytime I want. So that Firestorm's not gone, per se, because those comics didn't just evaporate. They still exist. It's just not what we're reading about today. And... You know what? I say, enjoy the Firestorm book we have right now. There's a lot to like about it, and um, and I'm going to read right now something some comments from Ethan Van Scarver that I think might sort of uh, enlighten a few readers and listeners. Now this again, this he did not send this to Firestorm fan. This was posted on the DC Comics message board, which by the way you should totally be checking out the Firestorm threads over there because one, Firestorm's awesome, and second, it's uh, Ethan's actually making a lot of comments over there. So, uh, this was written in response to, I believe, um, I want to say he wrote this in response to Robert Gross, uh, our buddy. So, it starts off with him talking about how this book came to be. Uh, Dan DiDio offered me Superman. He didn't specify the capacity in which I'd work on Superman, but he said that he, that's where he wanted me. I love Superman, but I don't think I draw him better than most artists. I like to read about him, not draw him. Dan asked what I wanted to do, and I told him I'd love to draw Firestorm covers. He told Jeff Johns that, and then both of them told me that I should take the entire book. I declined because I didn't have an idea at that moment, and I really wasn't inspired by Brightest Day's treatment of the character. I'm sorry, that's just true. But then I thought about it. I love the Cold War, and always thought that's what made Firestorm. Un- I always thought that what made Firestorm unique wasn't utilized properly in the series. Nuclear energy, radiation—it's been frightening Americans and the rest of the world for sixty years. The idea that nations have been scrambling to gain control, power, and respect from each other by acquiring nuclear weapons interests me. Also, the fact that Firestorm's powers are what I, re- I refer to as an applied power means that it's the type of superhero fantasy that can happen to you or I rather than Superman or Batman's powers. Uh, it opens up a very broad, very interesting opportunity. We're riding in a taxi with Bob McLeod, we started talking about Firestorm, and I told him what I was thinking, and then it hit me. What if Iran was trying to make a Firestorm? And it was unstable and dangerous because it was bootleg technology. Not to mention the fact that it was in the hands of a nation America doesn't trust. I talked to D.C. and asked about Martin Stein. They told me that he was dead and that we couldn't use him, except to refer to him in the past tense. So there was that slight obstacle to work with, although I had an idea for working around that. We're left with Ronnie and Jason. Instead of having them merge to become a superhero, making them each half of a superhero, with the awkwardness of whose face was the face being shown at any given time, I liked the idea of each boy being a firestorm, but to begin with, discovering that they could merge and become a very dangerous super firestorm. Now, why did I feel free to make the change? Because because DC told me I could. Because I spent the year touring and doing DC panels where Dan asked the audience which characters in Brightest Day were most uh, were they most interested in, and time after time, no one clapped for firestorm except for me, because I think this idea, when it's being done correctly, is far more compelling. Moment of extreme truth. We got off to a rough start. I'm very shy when in a new collabor- when in a new collaboration. I didn't speak up until issue number four, which I plotted entirely by myself, trying to steer the book into a direction it was meant to go. There was messiness behind the scenes, obviously, and a new writer was brought on board to put the train squarely on the rails that follows my original proposal. DC knows what's going on, obviously. There's a lot of buzz about Joe Harris in issue seven at the office. We're asking for a second chance. I think you'll be amazed. Signed Ethan Van Skyver. There's a lot embedded in that letter yes, that I think yes, that I think a lot of people don't realize. That this book wasn't just put together haphazard, it wasn't just like, hey, I got a cool idea. It wasn't like, ah, let's forget all that old Firestorm crap. I mean, he put a lot of thought into the creation of this series and where it came from. And I got to tell you, I mean, I, I read this uh, this letter. I got re-energized. I was like, oh, hells yeah. Bring on issue seven. I can't wait. You know, and um, and you sound like you, you got a lot out of it too there, Rob.
2: Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I don't know, like, were there... Were people suggesting that the book was thrown together? Like, I don't... Well... I, I th- mean, th- I, I wonder if that's, like, a little bit of a strawman argument that he's, like, arguing, well, we didn't just throw the book together. Well, th- did anybody say that? They, they still might not like it anyway. They're not, I, I didn't know if there was a criticism going around that the book was, like, you know, a half-assed yeah. effort. It's clearly not a half-assed effort.
1: Clearly. That, I, I, I probably use the wrong term. There's a lot of complaints still about that Firestorm's a new continuity, that what they did in brightest days not being utilized, right. and that Professor Stein's completely out of the picture, okay. and that you have Ronnie and Jason as separate firestorms.
2: Right, but that's not saying that it wasn't thought out. he he is he seems to be again we don't get into the weeds here where we're debating back and forth what someone else meant in an email, <laughs> but uh, but he's he is saying there was a lot of thought put into this book. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone is saying that there wasn't. They're just saying they don't like the results or they're. Questioning the results, it doesn't mean you're saying that the effort wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I'm sure George Lucas put a lot of effort into Red Tails. I still found the movie pretty weak, but I (laughs) would no, but I mean, you know what I mean? But I would never say, "Oh, he just threw it together."
1: Okay, well, those were my words. Okay, just so you know, when when I was describing that, I don't think anyone's ever said he just threw it together. That's just my own phrase, Uh, and I, I I misspoke when I said that, but. I'm on the other side, man. I really – probably because I'm knee-deep in, in watching the arguments go on. You know, I I do feel some of those issues. I, I've mentioned it before. You know, I do miss the Ronnie Professor dynamic, all that stuff. But after reading his letter, it's like, okay, I see why he made the choices he made. I totally agree with him. You know, the idea of Iran trying to get their hands on a Firestorm protocol is a great idea. Like, yeah. oh, wow, that is scary. You know, and – I just I felt like this letter. He was very open. I mean, he didn't have to share all this behind the scenes stuff. The fact that he admitted that there were problems behind the scenes and, and there were edit, you know issues with the writer. I mean, he,
2: well, I mean that's clearly going on, you know.
1: Yeah, but to, to put it all out there for yeah, the fans, yeah. I mean, it's just like wow. He was no, very I, open. I, I think that's great.
2: No, yeah, I, I didn't mean to say, sound critical. I mean, he's being honest. He's, he's acknowledging what people know is going on. They don't know it. They don't know the details, but they know something's going on. When, when, when you launch a new title with this much fanfare, and then and one of the writers, le- one of the the marquee writer, leaves, you know, six months in, mm-hmm. obviously there's trouble. Yep. So I mean, that's good that he's acknowledging, as opposed to just pretending, la la la, everything's fine. You know, nothing to <laughs> see here. So you know, no, I, I appreciate that. And clearly, his words are inspiring to people because your reaction to what he wrote is very similar to what Joe Slab said. in. That we mentioned last episode is that Joe was kind of down on Firestorm, and then he read that response from, from Ethan, a uh, different response, and got more excited all over again. So, you know, clearly Ethan is a, a very inspiring in terms of uh, rallying the Firestorm troops.
1: I, I'm excited, and, and if anyone thinks he's was too disparaging towards Gale or anything like that, uh, just so you know, Gale Simone herself actually left a comment on Firestorm Fan today, um, saying after she after all that stuff with Ethan. Uh, And she wrote, I'm glad that Ethan is getting to do the book he wanted to do, and I wish them nothing but success. So, sounds like everybody's cool there. So, uh, I just, you know, for me, again, I'm energized. I am totally jazzed. I I had some criticism of this issue, like I said, but overall, that was just nitpicking. I I enjoyed the issue. Um, And after reading this, I I it's not that I want to jump over issue six, but I can't wait to get to number seven now, you know? <laughs> and, and I want to see, number nine, I want to see Yildur Ray draw Joe's script, you know? I just, I'm excited about where this book's going, and I hope that they get the chance. I mean, because DC, you know, one thing we haven't mentioned on the show, that people probably already know already, is that DC started to bring down the axe on some titles. Yes, the hammer's coming down. And, you know, folks, if you go out and look, Firestorm's numbers aren't that good, and it's a shame. Um, and I hope that it starts to turn around, because, there, again, there's a lot of buzz around issue number seven. So,
2: I look okay. For, I look forward to the Water and Water podcast.
1: No, <laughs> it's still going to be on Fire, even even if the you know, knocking on wood, Firestorm is not going to get canceled because it's a good, solid book. But uh, if it were to, there's still lots of Firestorm to talk about. <laughs> so Anyway, uh... <laughs> <laughs> shut up, man. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up here, folks. Uh, Rob, tell people where they can find you.
2: Uh, well, all over the place. You can find, uh, the Alchemist
1: Shrine. You can literally
2: find me anywhere, random corners, you know, things like that. No, you can, you can find fris- prisons, bars, Jay's Elbow Room, Route 73, Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Um, uh, no, you can find the Aquaman Shrine at com You can find Alchemist Shrine on Twitter, um, which is, uh, run by, uh, our resident lush Joe Slab. He's doing a great job. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the only thing that would be better is if I did that in the FDR voice. Joe, you're drinking too much. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, Slipknot. not. And uh, no. and uh, so anyway, you can find the outgoing try on Twitter. You can find us on uh, Facebook. Um, also, I, I guess I should mention this. I keep I'm, I'm a bad marketer. Um, I also have like my Twitter feeds for all my other endeavors. Like uh, there's um, RK Illustration on Twitter, which is the Twitter feed for for my illustration work. And there's the Twitter feed for Ace Kilroy, so you know if you are so inclined, please sign up to be a follower for either of those things, either on Facebook or on Twitter, because we could really, really appreciate it. Uh, I would, I would really, really appreciate it. Um, we're, you know, still trying to get Ace Kilroy off the ground, and um, I think we're doing a, we're doing a good job. I think the strip is, is really good, if I do say so myself. But we do need a little more attention, uh, I have to say, in the whole Twitterverse. So if you're so inclined, please uh, become a fan of Ace Kilroy or RK Illustration. So. Uh, That's me
1: on the internet. Shag, where can we find you? Firestormfan.com. We have a presence on Facebook and Twitter, both as Firestorm Fan. Uh, I'm on this little show called the Fire and Water Podcast. I don't know. You might look it up sometime. Uh, You can find me on Once Upon a Geek. That's my personal blog. I do make appearances from time to time on Two True Freaks. And if you want to chat on a more regular basis, I am on the Unique Geek Listserv. It's uh, a Google group that we do chatting about all kinds of nerdy stuff, not just comics. So that is that. All right, folks. Uh, next issue, next episode. I think we're gonna probably springing this on Rob. Talk about some old comics. Uh, I thought we'd talk about maybe some uh, classic Aquaman and Firestorm stories.
2: This is and you this know is what? The first time
1: hearing this. First, Rob's, first time Rob's heard that, so that may not happen at all. But uh, that's what I'm shooting for right now. Anyway, folks, thank you for listening to the Firewater Podcast. We will talk to you soon. Uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Say goodnight, Rob. Goodnight, Chegg. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye.
0: Aquaman. Even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice. and sea, on land, in air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. You know, I was I was reading this this uh, old question when I was little, and it asked us if we could have the powers of any superhero. Who would it be? you know, had like a the A B C, you know, Superman, uh-huh. the Green Lantern, and I'll never forget this. C was Aquaman. Now who who's gonna pick C, Doc? Who would wanna be Aquaman? I mean, the powers are only good underwater. You can't be. What can you do underwater? Okay, okay, I can see you You're swimming underwater. That's nice, and and you can breathe underwater. Okay, that gets a little boring after a while. But then then he can talk to the fish. What the hell would you wanna say to a fish, Doc? Uh, you know Aquaman swimming around? Hi, fish! Hi, Aquavan! Have you seen anything unusual under the water? Hi, Aquavan!